This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Kent Smetters. Hello, welcome back. Kent Smithers, professor at the Wharton School. You're listening to your Money Business Radio Series XM 132 for the rest of the show. You know the routine of financial planner with me, taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know what to do with your money, how to save it for retirement, kids' college, paying down debts, really anything uh, related to your money, just you got a question live on Tuesday, so grab the phone and give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton, just like the school name, W H A R T O N. That's 1 844 942 7866. With that, let me do some of my next guest, Steve Medlin, who's been on the show many times, is the co founder of Tabor. Capital Management in Orange County, California. And like all other advisors on the show, he is fee only. So this debate, Steve, in my family, uh, how to say the word of the county that you are happen to be in. I grew up in the Midwest, so it's a one-syllable word, orange. But, you know... <laughs> Uh, the other fraction says, no, it's actually two syllables. It's orange. Uh, but uh, we also believe in the Midwest that the middle light in a stoplight is not a yellow light. It's an orange light. So uh, uh, just remind us, Steve, a little bit about your firm. If you have a typical client, what's your she like? Uh, sure, Kent. Uh, we were founded in uh, 2004, uh, fee-only firm, as you mentioned, based here in Orange County. And uh, most of our clients come to us in their late 50s, early 60s. They tend to be that classic millionaire next door. Um, they're good savers. They've built up significant nest eggs in the range of 500, uh, you know, 500,000 to $2 million. But at some point they realize that building their assets is very different from making those assets last for a 20 or 30 year retirement. Yeah, excellent. Again, Steve uh, Medlin, co-founder of Tabor Capital Management, taking your calls with me. So give me a call here. I'd love to answer your questions here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to John calling from Massachusetts. Uh, how can I help you, John? Uh, hello, I love your show. Thank you. <clears throat> I have a question um, about some advice I've gotten lately from an advisor that contradicts some old strategies. I, I always. Uh, tried to put, um, you know, dividend stocks and bonds with coupons in, in the IRAs or similar accounts yeah. where you'd shelter the income from taxes and to take growth stocks and have those in the brokerage account uh, because they weren't going to um, generate any tax liability. And, th- and this advisor tells me not to worry about that um, because he, you know, I'll notice some <clears throat> stocks or securities in in the account where I don't think they belong, and he'll say that the, the IRAs are what you're going to have for longest, so keep the growth stocks in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, my instinct is always to move the, move the growth stocks to the taxable account yeah. and save the, save the tax-free account for the tax inefficient investments. And he kind of tells me don't not worry about that. Yeah, and then what's important, I think, in your mind, John, is that you're viewing both accounts for the same Goal. So there really is fungibility in terms of finance. It's really about the tax arbitrage that you're trying to exploit. And, and in particular, I could definitely see, um, you know, if, if your taxable account was for a shorter term goal, something like that, taking, you know, less risk uh, there. Um, but I assume the comparison is that both 
both of the accounts that you're comparing are for the same goal in particular retirement. Is that right? Yeah, I just see it as one, you know, as one pot sure. and let's grow it as much as possible for as long as possible on a risk adjusted basis. Sure. And then so let's let's put the tax efficient securities in one pot yeah. and put the tax in one of the other. But he he's kind of obsessed, well this is this is the account that you're gonna have this is gonna be the last money to go or the last money to get yeah. spent. So keep the growth stocks in there. Yeah. But that's as far as the explanation goes. I'm looking for more. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Steve, uh, your thoughts uh, on this? Yeah, John. So you're um, you're smart to be looking at these issues. Um, yeah. The strategy you're talking about, you'll you'll hear it called asset location, and there are some potential tax advantages in doing what you're doing. Um, it does require more work to do it that way, and. Um, that's why many people don't bother with this strategy. Right. Um, over time, it can save you. But um, one thing that I always caution clients about is um, even though taxes should always be considered, they shouldn't be the dominant factor in, um, in choosing investments, choosing when to sell. We've had clients who hang on to investments way past when they should for tax reasons, and they wish they would have just Sold the sold the investment, take the gains, right. and paid the taxes rather than letting it go to zero. Right, and I and I certainly agree with that. In, mm-hmm. in particular, John, the the way I would summarize it is as Steve points out, we don't want to have the tax tail wag the whole investment dog. But you know, this situation, the way you set it up, we're 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 not talking about a case where you have you know a really concentrated stock exposure, and you're worried about taking on the capital gains taxes, selling that really concentrated exposure, uh, because in that case, that really is the tax tail wagging the dog. In, in your case, it sounds like it's potentially diversified portfolios already. Um, it's just that you know, advisor doesn't want to do the work of kind of doing the asset location. And, and then I would say is that if, in fact, they're the, for the same goal in your mind, um, and it really is fungible in terms of the economics across the, the two accounts, um, then might as well tax arbitrage and really try to take advantage of uh, the tax savings, because they can be considerable when you compound it. it the, where the, 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 the division comes in is in where, when you're talking about if uh, one account in your mind is really meant for a goal that's different than the other account. But it sounds like that's not the case here. So, you know, I would do the asset location in this case, and it can, um, and, if, it, and of course, by the way, if you have some concentrated positions, then as Steve points out, you know, just suck it up, to pay the capital gains today. Um, deferring those capital gains is not going to be that valuable, except in very rare cases, uh, especially the low risk-free adjusted, you know, interest rate today around zero. Um, you know, deferring is not that valuable. There, there are some exceptions, like if you're almost, you know, end of life considerations of the basis step up and death and things like that. But outside of those, uh, you know, exceptional uh, considerations, you're almost always better off, you know, getting rid of a concentrated position, paying the capital gains. But assuming, but that's, you know, the the, the additional layer now is what really what your question is about is that then where do you hold those diversified assets and you want to hold, you know, your stocks in your, you know, taxable account and not turn that over very often and hold your income generating assets in your um, tax deferred. So thanks so much for calling. 
on, John. I really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Steve Mendelin, co-founder of Tabor Capital Management, Orange County, California. <laughs> uh, give me this a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Kathy calling from California as well. How can you help me, Kathy? Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. So. I'm pretty new to uh, saving, just having had paid off all of my business school loans. Good. And, yeah. Well, that's, um, that, that is saving, you know, so that's, that's good. It is. So I have a couple questions. Sure. Um, I just transitioned from one job to another, and I do have $45,000 in a 401k that's just sitting um, in infidelity, not doing anything, so I just transitioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what to do with that. My second question is I do have um, about $75,000 in savings, and I have that just sitting in an online savings account, one of those high-yield um, accounts. Yeah. I'm not really doing anything with that either, sure. and I think that I should be doing more with both y- of those Yeah, lines. but at least you have an online savings account, you know, trying to get a little bit more yield than sitting in your checking account. I mean, the, the advantage, of, yeah, I always say emergency accounts should not be in your checking account. They should be a little out of sight, out of mind. You don't want to tap in, into them too easily. It might as well get a, a little a little bit higher yield on an online savings account. And also, just because it takes a couple of days to do the transfer, you know, if you get tempted and wanting to buy something, it just puts a little sand in the gears for, for that. Uh, but it really comes down to your situation, uh, because that could be a reasonable emergency account. Um, it, it depends on your situation. So tell me about your job. Um, are, are you still looking for work? Are you, do you have a job? Is it fairly stable? Uh, get, tell me the economics associated with that job. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I live in San Francisco, so you have to have another job. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, five or six <laughs> jobs there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I do. I do have another another job, um, yeah. and I've been here for three months, and my base salary is one forty. Um, with a, uh, I think we have a bonus structure of up to fifteen percent a year. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, I don't have any other debt except I do have a mortgage, um, and that mortgage is about thirty eight hundred dollars a month. Yeah, and so in, in particular, this job at you know one forty. You said San Francisco. That's kind of like almost the oil industry in terms of volatility. There, it just really depends. I mean, is this like a startup where you could lose your job uh, fairly quickly, or is this you know, uh, it, or is it a fairly steady income? Um, no, it's pretty steady. Yeah, I'm not at a startup. Okay. All right. So, uh, so uh, Steve, with those uh, kind of, um, uh, it's really two questions. One is, you know, should she do a rollover for one k We don't know all the, you know, expense ratios and so forth. But she get, did give some hints on fidelity, but so maybe general rules that Kathy should be thinking about there. And then, secondly, um, is this, you know, a reasonable amount of um, uh, of savings that she's doing for the emergency account? Uh, I forgot to ask you the critical question, Kathy. What you said it's thirty eight hundred. You gave me part of the math there in terms of your monthly yeah. expenses. Uh, how much more additional monthly expenses on top of that thirty eight hundred uh, do you do for eating out and other things like that? Yeah, I would add another thousand dollars to that. Okay, so let's be. call it. We'll round it. You know, yeah. call it five thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So your your thoughts, mm-hmm. Steve? Okay. So well, first of all, Kathy, congratulations on uh, paying off your business school loan. Yeah. Got to feel good. Um, if we, yeah, if we round up, 50, and for having uh, a house within 500 miles of San Francisco, that's that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So if your expenses are around five thousand dollars a month, that's um, 
uh, I, I would recommend having an emergency fund of mm-hmm. normally it's three to six months of expenses. So to be conservative, um, you know, six months of expenses, that'd be $30,000. Yeah. You have $75,000 in your online savings. So I would leave at least, you know, $30,000 there so you have a cushion. And then with the other one, you can do a couple of things. First, I would look at rolling over your 401k. Um, I think you said it was at Fidelity, but you can roll it over into, um, I mean, it could go into an IRA at Fidelity, but you could also roll it into a Vanguard IRA account. Um, Even with Fidelity, though, you can invest in in, uh, Vanguard funds, so you have a lot of options there. And then I would start looking at what do you, what can you do with that other forty-five thousand yeah. um, dollars? You know, after you save the thirty in the emergency fund, um, do you have a four hundred one k available at your new company, Kathy? Yep, it just uh, just kicked in because I, you know, I'm a couple of months in here, so it just kicked in. Yep. Okay, and with one hundred and forty thousand dollars in base plus up to you know fifteen percent bonus could be around twenty thousand um, dollars. With expenses of $5,000 a month, you should have a significant cushion. Um, how much are you saving into the 401k? Have you have you filled out those forms yet? Um, they just sent them to me, and so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much do I save with that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, as a general rule, I always recommend saving at least 10%, if not 20% of income. Um, okay. You... Uh, you are going to be able to save $19,000 if you max out your 401k, assuming you're under the age of 50? Yeah, I'm 40. Okay. So uh, once you turn 50, the the limit is going to be $25,000. But for now, you can save up to $19,000. I would recommend maxing out your 401k contributions and then I would also look at some other things. Um, we, we didn't mention family. Do you have uh, kids? Uh, no, I don't. I don't have any okay. pets or kids, just me. Okay. All right. That, I was going to mention, um, you know, for, for those who have kids, we, we recommend getting low-cost term insurance um, just to protect. But uh, that's, that's not going to be an issue. Um, you said there's no other debt. Is that right? Yeah. That's just, yeah, yep. no. Okay. All right. So then next, after you max out the 401k, I'd look at contributing to a health savings account. And uh, Kent went through some of the benefits It's an, earlier in the show. It's one of the best um, vehicles, investment vehicles from a tax perspective that's out there. You can um, put in $3,500 a year. And if you do that consistently and are in good health, that can be a um, tax advantage savings vehicle for yeah. you. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's great. In particular, let's break it down, Catherine or Kathy. In particular, for your 401k, um, typically doing a rollover is usually the best thing, only because 401ks typically have higher expense ratios because of administrative record keeping and all that type of stuff um, than what you would pay in an IRA rollover account. And, you know, if you want to keep it simple, you could actually have call up Fidelity and have them do the rollover right into a Fidelity uh, IRA. The the key about that, though, is you really want to look for uh, funds that are very low expenses, not, you know, uh, don't just look at, you know, 
uh, previous earnings. So what happens is, you know, people look at funds that have done well in the last couple of years, and they do return chase, and those that's, it has no predictive power of future performance. So you want to keep, uh, keep it kind of simple and keep a you know a, a broad-based investment, something like a total bond fund, total stock market fund, and things like that. Fidelity even has some of those that have no expense expenses um, if if it were in a, like a taxable brokerage account, and a, and a 401k still has pretty low expenses. So you can certainly go that that route. If you wanted to, you could even move that to another provider like Vanguard and so forth. Um, so in, when it turns to the uh, uh, their online savings account, um, yeah, I if completely comfortable with the numbers that Steve uh, just gave you. Uh, maybe bring that down to thirty thousand dollars, so that gives you forty five thousand uh, dollars for things to do uh, do with. And the first thing that you really want to always uh, think about here now that you have other debts cleared off, so you don't have credit card debts and things like that, is really make sure that you're comfortable doing that nineteen thousand dollars a year. Um, and if if you're not, if you don't, if you if you're not willing to do that, you have capacity to do that. But if you're not willing to do that, then you know this forty five thousand dollars helps you do that because you know uh, if you had some consumption needs that otherwise would draw you down to say fifteen thousand dollars a year, so, uh, you know f- you dip into this forty five thousand to top it up by essentially you, some of the consumption that you uh, would have otherwise afforded, you use it out of that forty five thousand dollars and therefore increase your your contribution your four hundred one k to make sure you're you're at the nineteen thousand dollars. So that that forty five thousand dollars, all the money is kind of fungible, so it allows you to essentially make sure you're up to that nineteen thousand dollars a year. And but still, you're going to have some money left over. So then, they, really, the question is what to do with it. And that comes down to you know I think two margins here. As Steve pointed out, one is what we talked about earlier in the show using a health savings account. If your employer offers that, and, and if you're out in San Francisco, it's almost certainly the case that they offer that. Tech companies offer this uh, in droves. This is, they have a, a younger population uh, that sees the benefit of this. So typically, your employer will offer this, pair it with a high deductible plan, and that will allow it to uh, uh, qualify. for. You can actually put additional contributions into that HSA pre-tax and take it out uh, pr- uh, without paying taxes when you use it for medical expenses later on. But, you know, do some math, figure out if your employer is actually contributing to some of that deductible and so forth. But even if, if after you've done that, even this year, um, you're going to still have some money left over because at best, you know, we've absorbed, you know, of that $45,000, maybe 5000 maybe it maybe even $10,000 uh, that you're going to have some money left over. And so that's when I would be open up a tax brokerage account. And that taxable brokerage account, you can open up a Vanguard as well as that Fidelity. It's, it's, it's different than your rollover account that we talked about earlier with the IRA rollover. You have to keep those things separate. But your taxable brokerage account, um, that's where you're going to hold things like a total stock market fund. Um, and this is stuff for investing for uh, potentially for the if, if this is part of your retirement, you'd hold a, a total stock market fund. And then you hold a bit more bonds in your IRA to kind of offset set that risk. On the other hand, if you told me you have some shorter term goals, like buy, you, know, you already have a house, that's great. So you don't, you're not going to buy a ho- another house, uh, hopefully. Uh, but if you're about to get married or thinking about you know, having kids, things like that, so other shorter term goals or home improvements, then you don't want to take as much risk. But if you're really viewing this, extra, uh, this additional money as you know, part of, uh, uh, for retirement, 
then you, uh, you, the, the, the goal would be op- uh, with the additional money, open up a taxable brokerage account, invest that in, in something very broad-based like a total stock market fund, Take then take some of that risk off the table if you think that's too much risk, but take that risk off the table inside your IRA rollover account and that and, and by investing in more bonds, that's going to produce income. So thanks so much for calling, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Good luck with that. And again, speak with Steve Medlin, who's the co-founder of T-Bear Capital Management in Orange County. California, give us a call. 112 says grab the phone, give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 Let me go to Bedford calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Bedford? Hey there, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I wish your show were still two hours every week. Ah. Um, I was you. calling, I've, I've called in before. I have another question for you. Um, my question is regarding my parents' level of cash on hand mm. relative to their stocks and bonds financial assets they're both retired and i'm trying to advise them a little bit of, as to how much cash they should have in cash or very cash-like instruments yeah yeah hey, so tell me about more about your parents you said they're both retired so i assume they're just getting the kind of social security income but give me some more of the the economics do you how much money we ta- assets are we talking about all together how old are they or how healthy are they and you know do you have a sense of what their monthly sure. expenses are sure uh they, they um my father's 89 my mother's 878 in poor health and good health respectively mm-hmm they have about two million dollars in financial assets. Uh, about a quarter of that is in cash or short-term treasury bills. Mm-hmm. Um, their monthly expenses—that's uh, a good question. Um, yeah. But let me ask you this: that. Are they able to, yep. you know, from the Social Security check and other? Uh, stuff, are they able to meet their monthly expenses or are they dipping into this $2 million? They are making their monthly expenses with Social Security and about about $2,000 a month in, oh, let's call it $2,500 a month in uh, interest or uh, investment earnings. Investment earnings that's coming from from a bond fund or something like that. So in in that bond uh, fund, you said about a quarter of this, about five hundred thousand dollars is two million sitting in cash. Are you including bonds in that, or are you uh, not including bonds? No. In, okay. Okay. No, that, All right. In that, in that in that quarter amount is just either. <laughs> Cash earnings zero or treasury bills earning. And you you, you feel like they have too much cash or too little cash? My my gut thinks there's too much cash, but okay. maybe there's some amount that they should have for probably emergency medical expenditures or sure. perhaps uh, somewhere down the road they want to, might want to move out of their house, and that could be a temporary blip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, your thoughts? So uh, I, I, I um, understand why you're concerned, Bedford. Having 25% of an allocation in cash um, that means that 25% of the portfolio over time is not going to keep up with inflation. And that's a concern. Um, having said that, the um, it, your dad, if he's 89, he was born in 1930. And I'm sure that uh, he has memories from when yeah. he was 
a child of, of the Great Depression, and, and even if he doesn't directly remember them, your grandparents probably told him stories. And uh, I've faced the same thing with clients. Um, it comes down to, even though it may be suboptimal from an investment point of view, if he can't sleep at night, not having that 25% in cash, yeah. I would say, you know, it's his money and, and um, or really your parents' money. And if that's their comfort level, even though they're, they're you know, making a trade-off, they're accepting lower returns, if that's what it takes for them to um, stay in the markets with the other investments, um, that may be kind of a, a necessary evil in their case. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things, but for that, and I completely agree with that. I, I, I probably would not try to do further optimization at this point uh, because, y- y- like you said, there could be scenarios where they do need this cash, you know, trying to move and maybe they have to buy a new place, a retirement home or something like that when the current house is going to take a while to sell, things like that. So you, you just never know. And it just—it strikes me at this age and these, uh, you know, characteristics that, you know, I, I don't think I would have. It's yes, we could try to you know optimize a little bit more in this, but it's probably just not not worth it. Uh, what you really want to make sure that they're doing is you know the rest of their portfolio. They're being kind of smart. On that, this is you know because your father was born during the Great Depression era. A lot of times, they have very concentrated risks. They've learned that I want to put all my money in some couple sturdy stocks and so forth. So they often have very concentrated risk. This is actually one scenario where it may make sense for him to continue with that concentrated risk if that was was true, simply because if that amount of money is meant to pass to you um, upon an inheritance, then the capital gains would be wiped out known as a step up a basis of death. On the other hand, if you feel like your mother could be living quite a long time um, and that he has concentrated risk in that portfolio, that may be a reason, and they're not going to try to exploit, you know, giving you the money in a more tax-efficient way, that may be uh, an opportunity to therefore look at some of that concentrated risk and realize the taxes uh, today and therefore, you know, uh, de-risk in that way. Um, but so maybe start probing more of the rest of the portfolio portfolio than worrying too much about this one, just because I think given their age and their background and conditioning, it's probably not a fight worth having at this point. And, and I could see arguments where they would, you know, want this amount of, of cash. But it's, it's good luck with that. You know, dealing with, you know, aging parents, very challenging. Um, it, there's, a, you know, incredible uh, art and skill to it. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a challenging issue. Uh, and certainly, um, uh, it's, 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 it's probably one of the hardest issues when it comes to uh, financial plans. So good luck with that, Bedford. Thanks so much for calling. And let me go to Laura calling from North Carolina. How can I help you, Laura? Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question regarding an inherited IRA that I inherited last year. Um, I learned that I have to take RMD um, each year, and the money was left. I guess my brother was divorced, but he he had two children, and they are uh, teenagers. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to know what is the best way for me to sort of invest this money for them for the future if, you know, I would assume college is going to be something that they would go to or school or trade school. But I don't know where to put the money um, because I know I will be. I get taxed every, or I have to show it reported income when I get my, the RMD from it. 
Right, I understand right. That. And so I don't want to put it back, reinvest that money into account in my name because then I'm taxed again, I guess. Well, if it's... yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, it's, it's yours in, e- either way. I mean, you could always gift them money, but that would not be the right strategy. In this case, you're trying to pay for college. And it sounds like you're their aunt uh, right now, yes. which actually has some advantages if you're trying to pay for college. Uh, it, it, so uh, what do you think are the goals? Is it really paying for college, things like that? Or is it, you know, longer term investing? It, it sounds like, like how old are these kids? Uh, 15 and 17, but the older um, um, son, my grand, uh, my, my nephew, um, I don't know if he'll go to college. He has a little bit of a learning disability, and so he may do trade skill school. Um, you know, I want the money. I mean, it mm. could be for college. It could be for anything. It could be for a car. It could be for expenses later on if they move out yeah. after school. I mean, the mom doesn't work, so financial aid, they should be able to get quite a bit of money due to the fact that, you know, it, there's not a lot of income. Yeah. Um, so and, I just don't know where to put that. And is, is, are there payments involved with the 17-year-old's kind of learning disabilities? I mean, how severe he is... His disability. So does... So, oh, he does. Okay, so there are, there yeah. are some... And I assume the family incurs some medical payments, uh, some out-of-pocket payments themselves associated with this, or is that not... Um, well, I know they get Medicaid, okay. so that takes care of, I guess, till he's 18, but then if he goes to school, then it's till 21. So he, sure. I mean, he's high-functioning. Um, he, he's autistic, but he's high-functioning, so I'm hoping that he could do maybe trade school, or yeah. I don't know if, you know, a typical, you know, college would be yeah. for him, but maybe learning a trade. And I appreciate your own generosity here, but t- tell me about yourself and your own prep for retirement. Are you, you kind of in a good path there? Oh, yeah. We're, we're set. We're savers. Um, we have almost a million dollars in our retirement. So I don't need this money. I mean, this money was just because he didn't want to leave it in the kid's name yep. because of the ex-wife. I say, okay. I mean, okay. she's not good with money at all. So it was really just me being the responsible person. I could do whatever I want with the money. Um, I just didn't know. Should I put it in an account, like a brokerage account, in each of their names? Sure. So I don't incur another tax on it after... You know, after I have to already pay tax on the RMD. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. But, you know, you could, could avoid some of that if you, you formally gifted the money. But nonetheless, um, and it, it doesn't get around the problem, though, of um, if you're afraid of this money being kind of misused and things like that or setting exactly. up a, a fancy trust. Um, how much money are we talking about here? Uh, currently, it's 50000 in this year, so pretty much twenty five. I'm going to equally sure. give the kids right. point, you know. So, but I'd like to make money on it. Like, I'd like to, yeah. you know, 2% is not that great. So if I did something in a brokerage account, um, I mean, you know, I'm hoping I would I would get, like, something decent, even if I'm yeah. in not, nothing too aggressive, but sort of in the middle. Yeah. So, so like Steve, five, it, it seems to me there's kind of two, uh, three potential paths. One is, you know, 529 for college. Um, she would still hold hold the money, but nonetheless, uh, that's a fairly mm-hmm. tax efficient way. Uh, the reason I was probing the disabilities is that uh, potentially a 529 able account could be mm-hmm. something that could be used uh, for, for that. More and more states now 
permit that. Uh, and then the third is just maybe you know gifting them the money and having it go into a, a you know a, a taxable brokerage account. Uh, or it seems like it's not enough money to be you know setting up a trust vehicle or something like that. But the, then the issue with that one is it's kind of a longer term play there for their future. But they, she also loses control potentially unless they set up a formal trust vehicle. Uh, how how would you balance this? Yeah, I, I agree, Kent. Um, the 529 is an option, um, but Laura, there the, the way a 529 plan works is you put your money in and it grows. Uh, as long as you use it for education, it grows without paying any taxes, without having to pay taxes. You can pull it out without having to pay any taxes. Given that your nephews are one and three years away potentially from college, yeah. it would be a limited um, tax benefit right. of 529, although it's, you know, it, it is a viable strategy. Something else to consider is, I mean, if you do invest in a brokerage account, I wouldn't put it in anything too risky, again, given the time frame. You know, they'll be out of college in uh, five to seven years from now, and uh, it, given that, I would invest in something that's more conservative, like possibly short-term bond funds, where, yeah, it's not very exciting to make 2%, but it's better than the potential of of losing it in a uh, riskier stock-type fund. And then the third thing I would say is um, one strategy, if, if you were to gift it to them today, then it could have a negative effect on their um, on their uh, tuition aid. Yeah, yeah. But if you have them go to school, take out loans, and then gift it to them after to pay off the loans, that may be a uh, a better strategy. Yeah, and I like that one the most. I think that's a great strategy in particular. <laughs> Laura, is that um, you're not going to get, except for a potential state tax benefit, you're not going to get a big federal benefit by doing the 529. Uh, you do look into what's called a 529-ABLE uh, account, and in particular, this could be useful for some financing of the 17-year-old. And it may be the case that the 15-year-old you know, doesn't even have to have kind of equal amounts if, they, if he has a higher earnings capacity, but that, that may be something to look into. But nonetheless... <laughs> I love the strategy of just, you know, uh, really encouraging them to try to get education if they rack up some loans and then, then use the money in that case to help pay down loans. And yes, you may be paying some taxes on interest that you're accruing along the way if you invest it in, it into a bond account. But keep in mind that you're only paying taxes on the actual interest that you're earning. It's, it's, uh, it's coming out of that interest. And so it's not like you're Pain dipping into your own income for that. Thanks so much for calling, and thanks so much, Steve, uh, for coming back to the show. You can find out more about Steve by going to his website, which is tabor.net, T-A-B as in boy, R.net. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.